0: The Dylan & Dylan Show presented by Tunnel Vision Sports. Today is Friday, February 3rd. DJ Dylan Jesperson here, joined as always by D.H. Dylan Holton of Icy Kentucky. How are you doing, my man?
1: The ice is starting to melt. Everything's going better here. Uh, unlike Michigan, when we get a little bit of ice or snow, we kind of get trapped in our houses and everybody freaks out. Everything's sold out at the grocery store, but... Starting to melt, hopefully, tomorrow as you're listening, Friday, life's back to normal and we're all good. Uh, But I'm doing really, really well. Wednesday night, Murray State, my alma mater, the Racers, got a massive victory over our biggest rivals, the Belmont Bruins. Huge win. It's always a good day when you beat Belmont. Beat Belmont, and Murray's now a game out of the lead for the Missouri Valley, which Seemed like a pipeline dream like three weeks ago. So Murray's turned things around. It's really, really exciting. College basketball has heated up so much and we're gonna get into all the big football news from this week. But yeah. Good stuff going around all around, uh for me anyways. Uh how are you
0: doing? Uh I'm doing pretty good. Glad you guys are doing all right down there in Kentucky. Uh I'm in northern Michigan now, so I've had to adjust, especially on the west side of the state, to because like in southeastern Michigan, yeah, we get a lot of snow, but it's never it like we have good infrastructure; it, it's able to you know handle it pretty well. But there's no infrastructure that gets you ready for lake effect snow, so I have to check the weather constantly because all of a sudden, sometimes we'll be like, "Oh, hey, there's a there's like a half a foot of snow coming," and uh, you might not want to be on the highway for that. So uh, it's it's a it's a bit interesting uh, having to adjust to that. But I'm doing all right here. Uh, glad everyone's doing all right. Hope. Everyone listening is doing all right. We're going to get into it this week with an out-of-the-box draft honoring uh, one of the goats, if not the goat of the sport of football, who decided to finally hang it up. We talked about it, I think, just last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago, uh, whether Tom Brady should hang it up or not. Uh, He finally came to his decision, and it feels like a final one this year, that he is going to hang it up and uh, retire from the game of football, arguably, if not uh, solidly the greatest football player of all time, uh, and that inspired our draft this week. It's the GOATs, and we're taking uh, the GOATs of anything, so uh, if you want to do the GOAT of uh, football, soccer, uh, bowling, uh, anything out there that you think has the greatest of all time uh, is up for grabs in this one. Uh, I've got a coin here, right here, uh, ready to go. And that's ahead. Oh,
1: awesome.
0: Would you like the first pick, or you want second and third? I'll take the first pick. All right, floor is yours. I just
1: got inspired. I thought of a goat when you said the coin. I'm taking the Wilma Mankiller coin. That's a goat of the coins. Um, that, that has become synonymous with our show, and I, I mean it's the goat from the second that it was called out whenever we started flipping the coin to do these drafts. The Wilma Mankiller has been the goat uh, through all this. If you'd like to do research on uh, missus Mankiller's life, you're more than welcome to. But I'm talking about the coin specifically. It's been a tried-and-true staple of this show for the past year, I want to say. It's been a while. Uh, so, yeah, the Wilma Mankiller coin is an absolute goat, and that was a very fly-of-the-hip uh Last second decision to go number one, but I'm very, very happy to take it number one overall. So the Wilma Mankiller quarter coin, however you phrase it, is my first pick in this draft.
0: And it makes me sad that I didn't use the Wilma Mankiller coin because it was just sitting right there. But I do have the Wilma Mankiller coin. It's ready to go. Uh, I forget what, 2022? Uh, one of the more recent... Uh, in introductions to the coins showing that the the U.S. men still doing their job down there, finding good uh, coin designs. Uh, with my first pick, I'm going to go with the inspiration of this draft. Give me Tom Brady. Uh, I think he needs to just be on this. Uh, it, I don't have to really argue with anyone that's listening to this. Uh, to this podcast about Tom Brady's legacy and what he means to the sport of football. So, uh, I think we can all agree there. He's the, he's the goat. I don't, I think everyone's chasing uh, Tom at this point. I'll move on to my second pick. Uh, I kind of alluded to it when I was uh, getting into it, the goat of anything, uh, give me the goat of bowling. And he's kind of becoming a little bit of a meme this week because he just went on part of my take. Give me Pete Weber, uh, the number one overall go- bowler of all time. Uh, it, if you don't even know who Pete Weber is, you know his rant. Uh, there's that cl- famous clip of him hitting that strike, going off on a rant and finishing off with, who do you think you are? I am. Which I didn't know until I listened to that part of my take interview that that was directed at, like, a 12-year-old kid that was chirping him in the stands, which makes that story eat so much better. The, the, like, I thought, I thought he was just, like, pumping himself up but he was actually not only directing it at someone but that someone happened to be a 12 year old kid that was heckling it from the stands it's just uh from from bowling like that's i think i don't even know a lot about bowling it seemed like he was probably a pretty polarizing character in the sport uh he seemed like exactly what bowling needs. Like I I would have tuned in if it was nowadays and Pete Weber was bowling, I'd be tuning in every week to see what he was doing because that is must see television. So uh, I think he fits the the goat category of all time. I I think statistically, when I looked it up, he is number one on like the greatest PBA bowlers of all time. But I, I think just on that, that rant alone, he would be the goat in my eyes. So give me Pete Weber and give me Tom Brady and I'll throw it to you for your next two picks.
1: You mentioned his uh, famous speech that he gave. Have you ever seen, I saw it on TikTok, I'm sure it was on Twitter and Instagram. Someone put a Metro Boomin' song behind it, and it's like something out of a movie. It's incredible. I, I, I love that so much. That was a trend on TikTok a few months ago. Really, really awesome. Love those picks. Obviously, Tom Brady had to go on this draft. He's the inspiration. He's the big talking points this week. Uh, with my next pick, I'm not going with the person again. I'm gonna get some people, but my next pick is not a person. I'm going with NCAA Football 14, the goat sports video game. We talk about this game a lot on this show because we both love college football. We love sports video games. NCAA 14, in my opinion, was the peak of football video games. It feels like they went downhill after that year of NCAA and Madden. It feels like everything's been downhill since NCAA 14. I mean, it's been out for. Ten years now, and it's still, the longevity is incredible. I still play it every single day. And all the things that people have made, like modify it, that you can download and install, it's incredible. And 14 is the GOAT, no doubt in my mind when it comes to sports video games. Then my next GOAT is Rocky Top, the GOAT college fight song. There is nothing like being at a football game, a basketball game, baseball game whatever you want to say, and a big moment happens, and you hear the band strike up Rocky Top, and you hear those crazy folks in orange and white sing at the top of their lungs Rocky Top. In the middle, especially if you're an opposing fan base, you don't know exactly how the song goes. In the middle, you hear them give off a big Ric Flair woo it's the best. It's the absolute best. I'll never forget my first trip to Tennessee. I knew the worst to the Rocky Top, like the back of my hand by the time I was leaving. It's the absolute, absolute best goat fight song. It's it's to a point where, like, SEC teams know the words. Like, opposing players, fans, they know the words. They hate it so much. It's the best. I'll never forget my brother's wedding. I uh, I got called to DJ for a second. I had no doubt what I was going to put on. It was Rocky Top. I threw on Rocky Top. Obviously, the side of the family that loves Tennessee went crazy. We all sing everywhere. word. Dance like idiots. This is how it is. It represents something. It's part of the great tradition that is Tennessee athletics. So, yeah, I'll take Rocky Top as the GOAT college fight song, and NCAA 14 as the GOAT college or goat sports video
0: game. Love both those picks. Uh, I would make the case Hail of the Victors was a little bit better, but I think Rocky Top and Hail of the Victors are <laughs> – are right up there definitely top five and like most everyone even like our rivals will agree we have pretty good fight songs and that's when you know it's a good one and then obviously ncaa14 will live on and live on uh forever for what it has been for the Sports, uh, sports, video gaming world. Uh, I'm going to go more in your realm of the world. You, you inspire me a little bit. Your, your realm of picks. I mean, with, with where you're going. Uh, I'm going to take the office because the office is the GOAT TV show uh, in terms of my like. I, I think it is the most widely accepted good TV show by the most amount of people, uh, and that and how it is lived on through the the Netflix. It, it, it's it's one of the shows that I. Uh, was addicted to back in the day I haven't watched it much recently but it's one of those shows that you can kind of throw on in the background and you you know what's going on you're always watching it uh I I prefer comedies so I'm not gonna go with a show like Game of Thrones or something like that I think just the, the the star power of that cast and what that show meant to a lot of people over you know it's one of those few shows that like over seven eight seasons got it right you know, near the end kind of fell off, but uh, you know, I'll take the office every time. Uh, And then for my final pick, this one might be a little bit controversial uh, because it's a little bit of like a young pick, Uh, but in this NFL playoffs, and we'll get into the, you know, kind of the playoff recaps, uh, there's been one star sticking out to me and it's not on the field. It's in the broadcast booth because Greg Olson has taken over. And I think right now, He is like by far, far and away the best NFL commentator that I have seen in terms of just like his versatility of what he can bring to the game uh, and like how he explains pretty complex parts of football in very simple ways. uh, I, I think he does what a lot of people thought Tony Romo was doing when he got that big contract. And he's kind of Kind of sputtering right now because a lot of, he's not doing what he was doing where he could just predict plays, uh, before they were coming because the game's kind of changed and he's, he's kind of having to adapt how he calls the game. I think Greg Olson is far and away better because I just think he is a guy, he's a football nerd. You can kind of tell just by the way he speaks and the way that he explains the game. He knows the game so well. Uh, and I, I, he is one of the few commentators in the game right now that I really, want to listen to every time he's calling a game. Like I, I I, think those games every time he makes those games better and those are few and far between right now. So uh maybe not, the the goat of all time, but I think he will get there, but like definitely the greatest right now. And like, I don't think it's even a, a an argument for, for anyone else. So give me Greg Olson uh, and give me the office and I'll throw it to you for your last pick.
1: I like both those picks. I have a, hand up have to admit something i've never seen the office never seen it and i i've been picked on by quite a few people i just i never began to watch it and then it's become a thing like well everyone else has seen it i don't want to watch it now i kind of want to be different so i obviously i've seen clips i've seen the viral moments i've like watched episodes here or there with people well, yeah i've never seen it all the way through like it seems like literally everyone else on this planet has but I know the cultural impact and the staying power of the office, so I have no problem with that pick. Greg Olson bit caught me off guard, but he does do a great job. So I, I fully, fully see it. I see the potential in it, too. So I, I like that. Um, I reckon I got to pick me a person. I haven't picked a person. I'm going to pick me a goat of a sport. I feel like that's what this show is all about when we, when we really get to the nooks and crannies. Um, and I'm going to go to the debate that's been a debate our entire lives, the LeBron and Michael Jordan. And everyone should know where I sit on this. It's LeBron James. LeBron is going to break Kareem's record next week, probably. I don't think he can do it before next week. He's still, like, he's less than 100 points now. He's going to break Kareem's record and be the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. And it seems like he's going to blow by that record because he has no intention of retiring anytime soon. So LeBron's going to go down his all-time leading scorer. He's going to, I mean, he's the best. He's just the best. It's LeBron freaking James. He's going to get to play with his kid, maybe both his kids, who knows, um, with all this new technology and the way athletes age. I mean, look at Tom Brady. played football until he's, what, like 45 now, 46? Whatever Tom Brady is, basketball isn't near the physical sport that football is. So LeBron could play He's, I, I mean, the way LeBron's kept up with his body, knock on wood, hasn't had any crazy injuries. LeBron could be playing for a little while, and he can just add to his legacy. Hopefully, he gotta get another ring or two, and he, he solidifies himself as the GOAT that I see him as. And we'll, I will always see him as that. He's, he's my GOAT. So I, I'm glad I got to save LeBron for pick four in my GOAT draft. Did you have any honorable mentions?
0: Yes, of course I did. Uh, MJ and LeBron, I like kind of a slash. I, I didn't want to pick either of them because I think it, it, it's tough. I, I that that debate is so tough, and I, I don't know if we're ever going to get into it because it, it it feels like an unwinnable argument at this point. If you wanted to really get into it, who if you have a set like person in mind, you, you can find the argument either way. And as someone like me, I I used to be a big MJ guy and then lebron has swayed me more in his direction as time has gone on because how can't he it's tough as a person who wants to just come to an objective answer to that question it's there is no objective answer i i think that's more that more says it where it's like i felt like lebron was taking it and and now it's more of just like a one one a one b i feel like maybe at some point someone will surpass both of them and just take the full goat stance but like at this point, it, it, it's such a it's such a heated argument that I don't think anyone will see past their like locked in potential standpoint. That all that to say, I had MJ and LeBron on my honorable mentions because they're both you both you could consider both of them. I had Tiger uh, for golf, uh, Mayweather and Muhammad Ali uh, for boxing, Jimmy Johnson for NASCAR, uh, Barry Bonds and Mike Trout for MLB. Just kind of how you're feeling on the uh, you know on a specific stance uh and then i said vince young not for college football but for high school football 2002 he was a perfect rated uh recruit which is like unheard of back then uh and obviously went on to kind of solidify it while he went on to college so uh those were my honorable mentions anyone that you got left off your list
1: I didn't have like a whole lot of like singular people. I really went out of the box for this one. I had the 2019 LSU football team. That's like, in my mind, that's the greatest college football team of all time. Um, I had Murray State, John Morant. I really don't think you can find a better player in the history of Murray State than John Morant. That's a huge ar- argument. Because there have been great players to come through Murray State, but John, I think he's the standard. I've got to see some great ones there. And I, I think John is the guy. Um, the all-time greatest performance in my eyes, Kobe's eighty-one point performance. There's, I've just never seen anything like it. Um, <laughs> the greatest karaoke song of all time, I won it that way by the Backstreet Boys. The peak, absolute best. And then I had one last one, Vince Carter, the greatest dunker of all time.
0: Love all those picks. Uh, I'm excited to see how that one will uh, will turn out after. After the voting, we're going to move on to the question and answer segment of the, of the show. I'm going to start off uh, with a little bit of an on-topic question as the National Signing Day for the late signing period was just held this week, I think on Wednesday, uh, as the final stragglers of the class of 2023 signed and wrapped up the recruiting cycle for this year. Uh, both Michigan and Tennessee pretty active on the recruiting cycle this year uh, in a new Look, kind of recruiting cycle. I think the full first full one with NIL kind of the full grasp of what NIL is. Uh, and now that the class is wrapped, I wanted to get your thoughts just on, uh, you know, first Tennessee or whatever you want to go into, but Tennessee's class of 2023 and then where we're at with recruiting as a whole. I just want to get your reactions to things.
1: Tennessee's class for 2023, I mean. It's really the class that's gonna set the tone for the hypo era because it's Heupel getting the guys that he specifically wants. And it's the guys that a lot of Tennessee fans believe will take the Vols to another level. Because so you've got a truly elite quarterback. Obviously, when it comes to recruiting, you've got like the top like three or four services, two out of the or three out of four, two out of three, whatever have Nico Levea as either number one or number two. And then ESPN has him at like 25, which makes no sense. Nico is considered the guy by several of the recruiting services, and then ESPN's like, no. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and ESPN again, like,
0: always does that with yeah, guys like that. I don't know what their make problem sense. is.
1: It doesn't make sense. And um, Nico is considered the top player – by On3, who has garnered a lot of respect in recent years. And, I mean, that's just really exciting to to get the number one recruit in the nation to where Tennessee was two years ago. It's just a different world. Um, And obviously it's NIL paying off and just Josh Heupel's um, system and his efforts on the recruiting trail. It's incredible. But it's not just Nico. You got guys like Davion Hobbs, who is a borderline five star defensive lineman that picked Tennessee over Georgia. Huge recruiting win. And then you got a guy like Nathan Leacock, who was a like borderline two star recruit when he committed to Tennessee. He's now a top 50 player in the country. The the fact that Tennessee staff was able to see a guy that was this huge like I think he's like six foot five at receiver. They saw him, they offered, he committed, and then had a huge senior season. All these recruiting services started paying more attention. Like, yeah, that this kid can play. His evolution as just a prospect, awesome to watch. He seems like a guy that's going to fit in this Tennessee system so well. And obviously, there's a ton of other guys, but those are the three that kind of stick out the top high, top three highest rated uh, recruits that Tennessee pulled in. And, I, I mean, I'm excited for the class. It's a top ten class. Uh, and that, that's where Tennessee should be. They should be getting top 10 classes. And, I mean, I, kind of a tease, the 2024 class might be even better. So it, it's it's really looking like momentum has turned, and there's some fun, fun players coming to Tennessee, which is really, really exciting. Like, this hype era, the are on, like, really good athletes. And it's like, man, I, I like hearing that. It, it's exciting, exciting stuff. Um, and, I mean, I could talk about Nico all day. I mean, they're, they're comparing him to Justin Herbert. How could you not be excited about that? But I'm not going to because I'm going to have plenty of time to talk about Nico and all the other guys. I'm gonna, Yeah, I got three takes about the things that happen here in this late recruiting window. Um, Jaden Rashad, we talked about him a lot. He finally ended up somewhere. Arizona State, interesting fit. Arizona State, I think the number I saw, they're going to have 46 new players on their roster. That's incredible. And obviously, Jaden Rashada is going to be leading the way as this top quarterback prospect, four-star quarterback. Who knows? I mean, Rashada is, for my liking, he's a little bit small right now, but playing in the Pac-12, and at a school like Arizona State where things are just so, like, who knows what Arizona State's going to be doing. Jaden Rashada might be on a battle and be the starting quarterback. And that going from such uncertainty at Florida to Maybe even more uncertainty in Arizona State, but he knows he might have a chance to go out there and play. I, th- I think it's exciting stuff. And then the biggest domino that fell in this late window Nicholas Harper, the number one athlete going to South Carolina. Did not expect that. Highest recruit in the Beamer era at South Carolina, obviously, he's the number one athlete. Um, kind of scary because Beamer's done a good job when he's had athletes, they thrive. Um, especially South Carolina. So as an SEC East guy, it scares me a little bit, but it's good for them. It's good to have uh, competition in your division, in your conference. So I'm I'm kind of excited to see when he's not playing the origin white. I'm excited to see what Beamer can do with Harbor because he is such a great athlete. um, uh, These scouts have raved about his ability. So I'm interested to see what he can can do uh, for the Garnet and Black. And then my last one, Cromani McLean, the number one corner going to Colorado. Deion Sanders did it again. He got the number one corner last year, number one corner this year. This might just be the new move. The number one corner just goes to Dion. And if that's the case, I'm cool with it. I, I'm cool with wherever Dion's at, if he's at Colorado for the next 20 years or if he keeps moving If Dion just gets the number one corner, I'm absolutely fine with it. He makes every school he goes to, DBU. I I think that would just be really, really neat. So I I thought the way the dominoes fell, pretty neat, because we're not sitting here talking about Georgia and Alabama. It's kind of mixed up. you got Arizona State, South Carolina, Colorado, and the biggest winner of all the recruiting was Oregon. Oregon cleaned up this year, so I, I think it's the, we're talking about different teams, which is really, really exciting when it comes to college football. We talked about the parity a few weeks ago. This could help with that as we go down the line, but I'm very intrigued by the 2023 recruiting class. Like you said, the first class that's really affected by NIL, uh, but I want to hear your thoughts about Michigan's class and then the 2023 class as a whole.
0: Yeah, so starting with Michigan's class, it's tough to, uh, you know, it's we're in a position where it's good, not great, uh, and it's tough to be super excited about that because when you make back-to-back college football playoffs, you kind of expect great at some point to to come with recruiting. But there's a lot of, of obviously uh, other things that go into that. I mean, we we had to make sure we got our head coach not to take an NFL job for most of the off season that cost us with guys like Nicholas Harbor, uh, and, and other guys as well. So, uh, it, it's tough to, um, it's tough to take a full stance on where they're at. They finished at 18th. They got a really good transfer port of glass, Uh, but, uh, you know, it's tough to use that as an excuse again, because, you know, this is back to back years where Harbaugh has looked at the NFL. Uh, it seems like this year was more of a, you know, a disagreement about pay here, but still it, it, it's showing that it can affect the recruiting negatively. And especially in this world of NIL where you're you're trying to set things up and get, get money invested for the long haul. uh, It's tough to do that when you think the head guy might be gone and you might be revamping your program completely and and you don't know what's going on there. So uh, it's very interesting to see. And I think with what happened with Michigan, it kind of fits into what's going on in the, in the whole of the, of recruiting. You, you, you talked about it a little bit with, you know, it's the parody and, and guys like Jane, Jaden Rashada and Cromani McLean and guys like that going to different places, Nicholas Fiber going to South Carolina. I, I, it's pretty obvious that the teams that are investing in NIL and giving guys, you know, at least, promising guys, big upfront money are, are the ones that are winning right now. And that, whether that be, you know, Alabama who signed like a, an NCAA dynasty type class this year, or guys like UCLA who signed Dante Moore from out, out swiped him from out, out of Oregon and swiped him from, you know, out yeah, from Detroit, uh, you know, and, and was able to get him because of mostly in NIL stuff. So, uh, you know, you look down the list of the top recruiting classes in the country and it's all teams that have invested in nil alabama georgia texas oklahoma ohio state lsu miami oregon tennessee notre dame that's the top 10 all of those teams have big time nil donors as of right now they're not shying away from the fact that that we're going to give you uh, a chance to earn money here whereas michigan's uh, approach to things has been more of a well if you're good enough you'll make money here which is true but that's not going to get you recruits at the end of the day. It might get you transfer portal guys, which it did this year. Uh, but that is clearly not going to be the way of the future. And I think now as it becomes more stable, uh, hopefully we can get a little bit more of like a, uh, an idea of how things are going to go. But it's uh, like I said, I mean, it's tough. We're getting investigated for NCAA violations because Jim Harbaugh bought a recruit a burger, but we can't, we're also like losing out on guys like Nicholas Harbor because uh, Nike and Under Armour basically had a bidding war at the last minute for South between South Carolina and Oregon. Uh, and, and if you guys don't know who Nicholas Harbor is, just look him up and you'll see a track highlight first, and you're gonna f- find out really quickly why he is the the number one athlete. Six foot six, and is going to be an Olympic sprinter before he is a. Uh, Uh, an uh, college football player and will still be an amazing college football player at that. So, uh, it's, I think we're gonna see how this next year plays out. This was the first year with NAL, and obviously the big winners were the ones that invested in it. I mean, uh, it it goes without saying. And now we're gonna see how teams like Michigan, Clemson, who finished outside the top 10 for the first time, and I don't know how long, uh, USC, I feel like they they probably are are a little bit down on what they did this year, even though they finished at 12. Um, But, yeah, we're going to see how a lot of these big-time programs that expect to be top-time recruits, recruiters, and weren't, how they respond in the NAL. And then how the NCAA responds, because this is still – we don't know how all of this pay-to-play stuff is going to work. And with a situation like Jaden Machado – how does a team like Florida get punished at the end of the day, if if at all? Like, did they do anything wrong in that situation, or was he promised by an outside? Do these teams know what they're doing in these situations? And it's interesting to – I think right now it feels like the teams that have a better grasp on it and really went in on it at the beginning are the ones that are winning overall. Uh, but um, I I I also think for the people that were crazy, were like, oh, my God, this is – this is wild, you know, like Nick Saban last year with Texas A&M. Now, all of a sudden, he's doing exactly that and getting number one overall – uh signing number one overall classes. So it's not – I, I don't know if it's doing as much as we think it is, but it's obvi- it's clearly putting stars in, in different places, which is, is going to be fun to watch. I'm excited to see what a guy like Dante Moore can do for his brand at UCLA or Nico at Tennessee. Uh I think it's going to – I think that's going to be the first thing that you see is a lot of these quarterbacks that would normally go and sit in Alabama or Clemson for two years and wait for their shot. They're just going to go to a big time place, like middle of the road place where he can be a star immediately. You're going to see his talent regardless. Uh, A quarterback is going to be able to show you his talent regardless of who his uh, guys around him are. So uh, I'm interested to see, uh, how all of these uh, careers play out and how it affects recruiting down the road. But uh, we're going to move on from the college football world to the college basketball world with your questions.
1: Yeah, it's February. It kind of stepped up on us. Uh, and we're a month away from March madness, which seems crazy. It seems like it's just sneaking up on us, like I said. But we're a month away, and I want to know – do you have any favorites right now in the world of college basketball? It feels like, I, for me anyways, and I'll get into it, I don't really know. Uh, so it's, it's tough to decide. I want to know who are your favorites right now in the world of college basketball.
0: Yeah, I have no clue uh, in terms of favorites. I think we've talked about this a couple times now where it's like there is nobody that uh, really sticks out as like a number one overall team, or a team that I feel like has a legitimate shot to, you know, be picked to win it all, uh, just based on what they've done this year. Because every time it seems like someone gets to that number one spot, they lose. Uh, Purdue, uh, Houston, uh, Alabama obviously wasn't number one, but they were number two, and then gets thrashed by Oklahoma in that Big Ten SEC challenge. We've seen all those teams at the top lose and and sometimes lose in embarrassing fashion uh, to the point where it's like, well, all, none of these teams look great, but all these teams look pretty good when you go one through 10, like all of these teams have a chance to beat each other at that point. So I, I'm still a a big fan of Houston at this point, even though I think that that program I I, I talked about at the beginning of the year, that that program is well built. And I think they have a real chance to run the table this year. Other than that, uh, it, it could be a real toss up with how the seating goes uh, in, in the NCAA tournament. I think Arizona is a little bit underrated at this point. Uh, I think they have a good sheet to do things. Virginia is looking pretty good. All of a sudden, uh, obviously the Tennessee volunteers with what they've been doing uh, beaten up on Texas. One of the only SEC teams that really looked really co- pretty good in the SEC big 12 sailing. Uh, from a Big Ten perspective, you'd expect me to say Purdue because Zach Eady and what he's done, they've only lost one game this year. I think every Big Ten fan will tell you that they are the biggest paper tiger in terms of a number one team. Every team, including Michigan, who I'm going to talk about later, has had a shot to beat them at some point this year. And it's just either like wilted away or they haven't been able to do it. It it feels like they don't have any chance to beat an actual team. And it feels like the big Ten is just so much weaker this year that they are running. They're, they're skating by, but they're running through what most people would assume is a good big 10 team, big 10 conferences here. But I'm going to talk about it later. Michigan sucks. Uh, Michigan state doesn't look that good. Uh, no, no one looks that good in the big 10 Indiana. Uh, I mean, who is the highest rated team outside of uh, Purdue in the Big Ten? I'm, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. Indiana at 21 is the highest ranked team in the Big Ten at this point. So I, I, I just I, – I really don't believe in Purdue, so I'm trying to find anyone else. And obviously Purdue has kind of taken over as that number one spot. They've got that guy in Edie that kind of would fit that. I just don't believe in them at all. I've seen – them at their worst and i do not believe that they're going to skate through the the tournament uh the way that they've skated through the big 10 so i I think it's really open to any anyone two through 10 right now whether it be tennessee houston bama arizona virginia state kansas state kansas but i i even think kansas is like i don't know i it's so tough all of those teams seem to be like national title contenders but i i'm waiting for that team to take over as like they're the favorites. Like they're the ones that I really think could are are unbeatable at this point. And I I just don't know if there is one this year, which is going to make for an interesting tournament throughout. Because uh unless that's the fun part about the NCAA tournament, unless you are that team, you're viable to lose any any night. Like there the there are a few teams like the Anthony Davis Kentucky teams that were like, okay, they're not going to get upset. The only chance they have to lose is to face someone nearly as talented and they have an off night. Any of these teams I think are capable of being upset on a nightly basis, which is why this is, this college basketball season has been so interesting at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm waiting for someone to take it over. I think Houston and Arizona are kind of like my two favorites right now, but they could prove me wrong by the time this is re- released i don 't even know I think they they play again uh yeah, Houston plays Wichita state tonight that's a that's a tough game <laughs> I don't know if they get through that so uh i I'm not really sure uh we'll see how everything plays out. I, I want to know what you're thinking about it. Obviously, your team is up in that that uh so you're thinking about it a little bit more
1: so I have three teams written down: I have the Houston Cougars, the Arizona Wildcats. And the Tennessee Volunteers. Those are my three teams written down as my favorites. And then I have an asterisk by Purdue, just like you. I I don't believe in Purdue. I know Purdue's been the number one team forever long. And I know they have Zach Eadie, who's a freak of nature, down low for them. I just, they don't have the feel that I don't know. I, I just, I'm not crazy about Purdue at all this year. Same as you. I, I don't know if I'm drinking the Kool Aid or what it is, but I'm just, I'm not crazy about Purdue. Um, Houston, I think we've both seen it over the past couple of years, what they've been able to do, just build just a really, really solid program. And it's hard to imagine them not going deep in the tournament because they, they just have a good team. They have a good culture. It's hard to just not see them flourishing. And then Arizona is a team that we got, or the country got to see play Tennessee early in the season. It was back in December. It was at Arizona. And Arizona won that game. And I was really, really impressed by Arizona because Tennessee – is a really, really good team. There's a reason Tennessee's ranked second in the country right now. They're, they're the best defense in the country, yada, yada, yada. Arizona did not care about Tennessee having the best defense. They're like, we're just going to score. And they scored and scored and scored and scored. And it was really, really impressive. I, I was thoroughly impressed by Arizona. And, of course, they were helped by being – by playing at their home court, that helped immensely. Tennessee having to go to, um, I I think their, um, I don't know, Pacific time. I think Arizona's Pacific time. It doesn't matter. Tennessee went um, several time zones over to Arizona. And, I mean, that makes a difference for college kids. Uh, Doing that much travel, going to a just absolutely raucous away stadium, that that makes a huge difference. And a lot of Tennessee fans – on um, social media are clamoring. They're like, we want a rematch with Arizona. We we want a second chance at them. And as me, like trying to take like a step back, and I I would love to say I'm a diehard Tennessee basketball fan. I'm not. I, I kind of, I watch the games and I obviously, I wear the orange and white and root for them. But I'm not a diehard Tennessee basketball fan. I, I very much support them, but I'm not like, if I miss a game, I'm like, whatever. As it's that way, I would not want to see Arizona again as a Tennessee fan. Arizona scares me. Arizona's a team that I could definitely see giving anyone trouble because they have good guard play. They have good play down low. They they really don't have a weakness. They have good wings. There's really no weaknesses on this team. team, But at the same time, I'm not going to be like, they're winning it. They're the favorites because they have – chinks in the armor. They they can still be beat. They're not this, they're not 2012 Kentucky and Tennessee's the same way. They're not that team. Tennessee is so good. Like I've been thoroughly impressed by Tennessee every time I watch them, but then the four losses, Colorado, Arizona, Kentucky, and then they lost Wednesday night at Florida. It's so frustrating because you watch it and you're like, they should be winning this game. They're playing good defense. They just can't hit shots. And I think that's the most concerning thing about this Tennessee team. And if you watch a Tennessee game, they'll tell you. They have the best defense in the country, and it's not particularly close. They have such great athletes. They have this platoons swaps that these they run where they can have so many different guys on the court. They don't have a go-to guy. And I feel like that's something you have to have where you go through these droughts of not scoring. That was a huge problem for them Wednesday night in Florida. They were going through droughts of not scoring and they didn't have anybody they could give the ball to that they knew they knew would get them a bucket at any given moment. They didn't have that. That's going to kill Tennessee in the tournament. I really, really think that's going to hurt them. I'd love to say Tennessee's the favorite. Just don't see it. I, I really think you can kind of like you said, two through 10, you can put them in a, uh, the, all their names in a hat and pick one out. It's like, Hey, there, there you go. Uh, I think, we'll learn a lot more this month. And certainly in the conference tournaments, we'll learn a ton because you'll get those games back to back days and see how uh, teams do. But yeah, I think it's still very much in the air, which is very exciting. I think because um, you, you really never know. and that, That's what makes college basketball fun. What's unpredictable. And we really, none of like the classic giants are up at the top. We don't have a Kentucky, North Carolina, slot not up there. I guess Kansas is sort of up there, but it's not, traditional kansas dominance it's exciting we've got different people up at the top and uh you never know what might happen so yeah it's it's been a fun college basketball season and i expect it to heat up as as we get closer and closer to march madness
0: Yeah, I got a couple outliers outside of the top 10 just to throw out there. Baylor is steadily increasing another team in that Big 12. TCU, I talked about it last week. It seems like they destroy everybody that they play. Uh, And then St. Mary's, give them a shot. I think they beat Gonzaga not too long ago. This might be the year. They are always the team that, like, they're sneaky good. They're going to win a game probably the first – Weekend of the tournament, uh, I think they're a team that's been building behind Gonzaga for so long, and now they finally got a chance where they can kind of play on Gonzaga's level. Uh, may I'm not saying they're a favorite for the national championship. I'm saying they're more of like that Cinderella Final Four kind of team right now to look for. So uh, it's interesting because. Like I said, any of those top ten teams I feel like is viable to lose at any night. So uh, it could be St. Mary's is up in the top ten by the by the next time we're talking. So uh, that's gonna do it for the questions this week. We'll move on to this week in sports. I'm gonna start this week. We're gonna look back on uh, a couple of fun NF or championship games in the NFL playoffs. I'll start in the NFC. Uh, a little bit less fun. Uh, because it feels like the Eagles kind of got a pass in this one as Brock Purdy and Josh Johnson both come up with injuries in this one and basically uh turn them into a run only team, which you basically only see in high school nowadays. And it doesn't work much there when they do it. And it didn't work there in the NFL without uh, without a guy. And then this, I hope high school coaches around the country were watching that and seeing like the, the ones that don't pass and the ones that still want to run like flexbone and stuff like that how hard it is when a team can just put 11 guys in the box and just sell out for the run because it it it, it seemed like a game where you should just be able to forfeit at that point when you don't have a playable quarterback because there was no chance I think it was only, like, 21-7 at, at the point where I where it happened, where, like, Party really couldn't throw, where he went back into the game and they were, like, trying to figure out if he could throw or not. And there was just no chance. They were not going to score any, a, a touchdown, let alone 14 points, to somehow tie the game. Like, it, it, it felt almost cruel to put 49ers fans through that, especially after the season they've had. They've just – all they needed – was a quarterback that could throw the football. And literally that's all Brock Purdy was and he couldn't even get through the game that Josh Johnson. He gets hurt. It 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 feels tough for the 49ers, but I I have no doubt that they'll be back and it feels almost like better for the Eagles that they get their chance uh, again in the Super Bowl. Moving on to the AFC title game, a much better game. Feels like the Bengals and Chiefs are just destined to play the best game every time. Maybe we should put the Bengals in the NFC so we could get in a, a Bengals Chiefs Super Bowl because every time they play, it's just, like, the best game ever. Uh, a lot of focus going on that that penalty at the end of the game, uh, pushing Pat Mahomes, uh, that 15-yard penalty. I don't know how anyone is blaming – I forget what his name is, the, the defensive end that pushed him out. Like, uh, I, I don't know how – you could blame it was such a bang bang play with like half a second to react where I, I'm fully expecting Pat Mahomes to turn that corner and get another five yards if he doesn't push him out of bounds. Uh so the fact that like people are yeah it was a penalty. It's just something that happens in the game of football. And of course it's a tough spot. But that's what Pat Mahomes does. That's what makes Pat Mahomes so crazy good that even on a bum ankle he is so you know, such a dangerous weapon to get outside the pocket and run like that. You have to do everything you can. You you can't risk not pushing him out of bounds and having him go and, you know, get into the field goal range by himself. So uh, I have no problem there. Har- Harrison Butker, uh, in a year where it feels like kickers have been just, like, out of their realm, especially Maher down in uh, Dallas, uh, Harrison Butker just continues to just be, a like, a solid piece. And it feels like, an unheralded part of that Chiefs team, uh, unheralded part of a lot of Super Bowl teams, are like they have a kicker that's just like reliable. He's not, he's not like the greatest like deep ball kicker, but like Adam Vinatieri, like he's just solid. He's gonna make those forty-five yard kicks uh, and. and- so uh, I'm really excited to see the Super Bowl, uh, especially because I feel like the chiefs probably would be the better team just on talent level, but with Pat Mahomes still on his bum ankle, the way that he is, I think it kind of like evens out that playing field even more. You've got so many storylines with, uh, you know, Kelsey and Kelsey going against each other. You've got uh, Andy Reid going up against his former team in Philly. Uh, you've got the Eagles who've just been, I feel like, no one wants to give them credit for what they 've done this year, and of course they 've kind of skated through the playoffs to this point, so even more people don't want to give them credit but obviously, Jalen hurts and what he 's done has been so cool and and you know I, I think we're just setting up for one of the best Super Bowls that we 're going to see in a long time. I think this is going to be one of the better ones, but uh moving on to your reactions to the Super Bowl or to the playoffs last week, and your thoughts on the Super Bowl coming up
1: I was very disappointed. By that 49ers Eagles game, I thought that was going to be an incredible game. I, I loved the story of the 49ers being this ragtag group, but they're not really because they've got superstars all around the field, and they're just plugging and playing at quarterback. And they finally caught up to them, and I absolutely hate it. It was such a fun run, and I was I was on the way back from Louisville, Kentucky during that game, and I'm sitting there on my phone in the car watching the game, and I when Purdy got hit in the arm, I think it was Hassan Riddick who hit his arm. I was like, ah, I don't like that. Don't like that one bit. And the way they reacted to it, because, I mean, not just hit it. When you get hit in the arm, it's like, oh, you can't throw. The way the Niners reacted, to it was like, this isn't good. And obviously, we got details later. And then the Eagles just dog-walked the 49ers. I mean, absolute dominance. I don't think it would have mattered if Purdy had been healthy, the way the Eagles were able to just stay, like just, they just did what they do. They ran the ball. They they scored touchdowns. I mean, that's just, just what they do. And, I mean, the Eagles' defense is so good. The Eagles just all around are an incredible team. They've been on a mission this entire playoff run. And, I mean, it's just kind of kudos to them. It was a boring game that I felt like could have been awesome. Because like, I had the 49ers cannot sing the prices enough, and it felt like their luck just ran out. And it, it's really, really unfortunate. And then the same side that like when you go to the AFC Championship, you've got the injury-riddled Kansas City Chiefs who Sunday morning it came out, Travis Kelsey might not play. And it's like, whoa, you've got Mahomes on one leg, Travis Kelsey might not play. It's like the Bengals are going to walk to the Super Bowl. The Bengals have been cocky all week. The mayor of Cincinnati was talking all kinds of trash. They called Arrow, Arrowhead freaking stadium. If there's any stadium in the NFL that's like a true home field advantage, it's Arrowhead Stadium. I'm like, it's Burrowhead. Dog. I, I like Joe Burrow as much as the next guy. He's only played there twice. That's getting ahead of yourself. And they called it Burrowhead, and, I mean, they played an incredible game. They didn't get blown out or anything like that. It was close to, down to the wire, obviously. Uh, butt grabbed to make that kick towards the end after the penalty. But, man, I, the talking came back to it. It felt like karma. It really did, because the Chiefs, everything was going against them. Their receiver room is riddled by injuries. Travis Kelsey is not 100%. Patrick Wells not 100%. They just found ways to win. It felt like a very karma thing that it was like, hey, we got to humble this young group of Bengals because they were talking, and Cincinnati, they are just talking so much trash. And what came around, what, what goes around comes around, I, I think is the phrase. And uh, and that's okay because I, I think Chiefs-Eagles is more intriguing than eagles I, I That might just be me, but I, Patrick Mahomes, that's like getting LeBron in the NBA Finals. You want LeBron in the NBA Finals. You want the best player on the biggest stage. Patrick Mahomes is the best player in football. You want Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl against the defense like the Philadelphia Eagles. That is so good. And if he doesn't have his top targets, he's still Patrick Mahomes. And if you've got Travis Kelsey, you still got Travis Kelsey. You've got the best duo maybe ever going against this great defense, this... This Philadelphia offense that's going to put up points. The Kansas City defense is not bad. The Philadelphia offense, the way they're able to move the ball running, and then, oh, they just have, like, the best receiving core in the NFL. It's amazing what Devonta Smith, A.J. Brown, all those guys are able to do. I I think the Eagles are incredible, and I'm excited to fully dive into it next week because we prepare for the Super Bowl, thankfully. I used to hate to take a week off before the Super Bowl, and I kind of like it. It gives you more chance to think about everything that's going on. It gives the gives the, chief, the players, the Chiefs, a chance to get healthy. Good Lord, they, they need to spend this time in the ice bath. Um, but, yeah, I think this Super Bowl is going to be incredible. And uh, thank God the Super Bowl isn't this week. Because if it was, all the attention would have been stolen from it. This good old Thomas uh, Brady saga retire, and that would have stole all the attention from what's going to be, like you said, a great Super Bowl. Um, and man, I I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't believe it when it I I got it on my phone. It used to be we saw it scrolling at the bottom of the TV, but now it's you get a notification from Adam Schefter. I I, I read it and I was like, whoa, it's happening! It's happening again. I remember last year. Uh, when he retired for the first time, I was going to a Murray State basketball game, and I got really sad. I was like, "I don't know football without Tom Brady," and I went through all those emotions. And then he came back after a month. I feel like I already went through this. I think I feel like I'm good. It's it's like I I we we already had have, have these all these thoughts of football without Tom Brady, and it was a teaser. So I feel like um, football fans have all kind of uh, treated ourselves. We we know what to do now because uh, Tom Brady <laughs> gave us a glimpse of this last year. Obviously, we haven't done a football season without Tom Brady, so that will be a little weird next year, but it will be all right. I mean, Tom Brady leaves. He's the GOAT. We've, we've said all these things a million times. We said it during the draft. Tom Brady's the guy. He always will be. He, he went from the guy that everybody hates to everybody like, we got to respect him. Um, but, yeah, he, he goes on as an absolute legend. Obviously, you as a Michigan guy, him being a Michigan man, you, you've got a, a connection that runs deep. What are your thoughts about Tom Brady hanging up the cleats?
0: Yeah, this is uh, maybe like the last blow to my childhood. It, it was one of those, like, as you're growing up, especially as a fan of Michigan, you know, you start watching NFL and you're watching this guy in Tom Brady dominate the league everyone's just throwing respect to them and you're like oh yeah he played at Michigan uh, you know for people like me who were kind of after his time at Michigan and it's it, it is kind of just a sense of pride that we've always had while well, he's been in the league and it's going to be different as you know we kind of move on and there's going to be you know sets of NFL fans that don't know the league with, with Tom Brady uh, I think it's gonna you know there's going to be a group of people that that watched the greatness of Tom Brady and look at sports differently than the people that didn't because it it was such a an era of dominance that you just ex- I I don't I don't know if there will ever be a player where you just expect championships from them uh, in the way that we expect them from Tom Brady and, and and the and the Patriots when they won their Super Bowls it just felt inevitable because that was just who they were and it's not like and I think that the the part that makes the the best with with Tom is that he didn't have any of those talent signifiers that you would expect from a guy that would be that dominant. He didn't have the the greatest arm. He was, I don't think, at any point the most agile guy on the field. But uh you know, just the the truest sense of you know hard work and dedication to the craft of the game uh getting you to the top of your game i don't know if there will ever be a guy that can do it the way that he did being you know a seventh round draft pick working your way into the starting uh, spot and getting trusted with the reins of quite possibly the best you know football dynasty of all time is just I don't know if anyone, especially in the way that we look at, like, the NFL draft and the things that we, you know, the way that we look at even high school kids in terms of their NFL prospects right now. I don't know if there will ever be another Tom Brady. Uh, maybe someone will win more championships. Someone will be maybe more talented, but there won't be someone that has, like, that story of of underdog com- overcoming adversity everywhere he com- goes and then, you know, becoming what he became. So, I, I think this this day, because like as I said, I, this feels more like for good this time. Last year, we went through it, but it, it felt like the way everyone was talking. It's like he, he might not be done. He's probably not done. He's probably coming. this one feels more final this year, which. Hopefully it is. We talked about it. It it seemed like he was on the precipice of kind of losing that. And now we'll remember him as, you know, the great that he was. But it's just going to be, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Our whole entire lives of watching football, Tom Brady has been a top five quarterback. And I would include that even this year, he was a top five quarterback. And it's going to be, you know, interesting and, 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 you know, just almost sad in a way, you know, moving on from that. But it, it, it had to come at some point. You know, you can't play forever. Uh, But I would have loved to have seen him uh, kicking it around at 50 if he had the opportunity. But uh, happy for Tom. Hope he has a great uh, retirement. We're going to move on to something. I told DH I didn't look up anything about this, so I am learning it from him completely. Wrexham AFC. I want to hear about it.
1: So this is awesome. Uh, On Monday, I luckily – uh, school got canceled So I didn't have to go to work Because of snow and ice And I sat on the couch And I watched a show on Hulu Called Welcome to Wrexham And I didn't know anything about it I All I saw was Ryan Reynolds And Rob McElhenney From Always Sunny in Philadelphia On the cover And I was like, okay And I watched it And I, I, honest to God Thought it was like a TV show I did not realize it was a docu-series Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney they bought this soccer team, almost said football team. I'm telling you, I'm all in. I've got the fever. I watched this entire series. They bought this small um, soccer team in Wales that is in the National League, which is the bottom league. Like, we know about the British Premier League. It's the bottom league in, like, English soccer. And, um, they bought it, and they went all in they're like they're so passionate about it. I watched there's eighteen episodes in this season. Watch it all in one day. I fell in love with this team, and as we talked about on this show, we're not super plugged into like international soccer. I'm having a hard time not calling it football, having a very hard time. I'm telling you i have i like I've been emotionally attached to this small team uh from Wales. And um, obviously, the, the documentary series followed the first season of Ryan Reynolds and Mo- Rob McElhenney being the owners of this team, and that was 2021. Obviously, it's 2023 now. Still on the team, going strong. Sunday, which I missed this. This is before I started watching the show. But on Sunday, they played in the FA Cup, which the FA Cup is this huge tournament played in England. 700 teams play in this tournament. It spans all the leagues, all of that. Little Wrexham AFC from small town in northern Wales is still in it with only 32 teams remaining. They played Sheffield United, who has won the FA Cup four times. They're 70 teams above Wrexham. Three leagues, like huge difference. This is like the Yankees playing a single A team. They played Sheffield United to a 3-3 draw, which is a huge deal. They're going to play Sheffield United again. I can't remember the exact date. If The the winner of that game will play the Tottenham Hotspurs, which is one of the top clubs in the entire world. I mean, a huge deal. Uh, This underdog story is just unbelievable. Obviously since Rob and Ryan were able to purchase the team, they were to put a little bit of money in it. Those guys have a little bit of money. They've made uh, transfers. I'm telling you, I've learned all these terms to where Wrexham now sits at the top of the National League. And if it stays that way, they'll be promoted to the, um, I think it's the English Football Second League. And they're just making their way up the promotion, trying to make it to the British Premier League. I I think it's incredible. It's just such a feel-good story. If you haven't seen the show, Could not recommend it more. I mean, I literally found myself like looking up like how to buy a jersey. I'm calling it football. Like I'm having to stop myself calling it soccer. I told my dad. My dad works midnights, so he's able to kind of watch Hulu or Netflix on his phone. I told my dad to watch it. My dad calls me speaking in a British accent. He's like, "We gotta watch the footy, don't we?" I'm like, "Yeah, Dad, you get it, you get it." Um, So it's just incredible. Uh, It gets you in the feels and. I'm a thousand percent a Wrexham supporter, and I'm excited to see obviously what happens in the FA Cup if they're able to take down Sheffield United when they play again, and then take on a real Goliath in Tottenham. But I'm just I'm excited to see what they can do in the rest of the year in the National League. They get promoted. I feel like even, I have a soccer team now. And it's like a little like if this was baseball, it's like I'm supporting a little like minor league team instead of a, of a MLB team. But I'm all in. It. I love it. And I'm. Yeah. So uh, I am a Wrexham supporter through and through. And this is like a bright side like everything's going uh, great. And I, I'm going to send it to you or you're going to talk about some doom and gloom with uh, your Michigan basketball.
0: Yeah, quickly, I did know that. I've listened to the It's Always Sunny podcast a couple of times, and he's talked about that, but I didn't know anything about, like, how they've been doing and everything, so that's interesting. I'll have to try to pick up on that or get a Hulu subscription and, and watch that or, at some point. Yeah, I'm going to move on to Michigan basketball because I think at this point, uh, if you're listening to this on Friday, they, they played last night against Michigan and Northwestern, and they'll play later today for me. Uh, they very well could lose that game. It doesn't really matter if they win it, though. At this point, they're basically dead. If it, it, It's kind of a tough pill to swallow at this point. I don't remember the last time Michigan basketball didn't make the tournament. It was definitely before Juwan Howard. It was definitely in the John Beeline era at some point, Uh, pre, you know, obviously the run that John Beeline went on. Um and it, it's, a, it's a tough place to swallow. And I know DeJuan Howard's getting a little bit of flack on social media. I'm not one of the people out there that is going to jump on the, you know, he should be on the hot seat bandwagon. I, I I was able to cover the Michigan basketball team with Tunnel Vision Sports a lot. I know Dewan's a, a great guy uh, and coaches that team and really cares about his players. Um, so I, I'm not out there yet. I will say I'm not going to argue with the people that are on that board because there is, you know, the the best that Juwan has done was in the COVID year when he beat teams like North Carolina and Gonzaga. And we've talked about it. it that COVID year is tough to take anything positive or negative from. So, uh, so the fact that his best year was that, and since then he's been not much more than above average or mediocre at, at best it, it is tough to, you know, obviously uh, last year in the, in the tournament, you know, went on a little bit of a run, beat Tennessee in the tournament. But uh, outside of that, he hasn't had much success or really matched the success that John Beeline had, which is tough. It's tough not only because the program was in such a good state under John Beeline, but because it felt like it was taking a step forward under Juwan. Like we were starting to get big-time recruits, not just the recruits that we could turn into big-time players, Uh you know, No offense to any of those guys, but I mean like Trey Burke was a three-star coming out of high school and we turned him into a national player of the year. Jordan Poole uh, was not who Jordan Poole is now when he got to Michigan. So uh, I I think that's one of the biggest things that I'm missing from Juwan that D-line had was getting guys in taking them as freshmen and turning them into something different, like pros by the time that they were seniors. Beeline was the king of that. And Beeline made guys like DJ Wilson, who was a, you know, a bench sitter as a freshman, turn into a pro basketball player. Uh, Karis LeVert, who's still in the NBA doing big things, was committed to a Mac school in Ohio before Beeline snatched him up and made him a a big-time player in the big time. Uh, It's – it's the thing that we've been missing because, you know, we look at guys like Jalen Caleb Houston and, and Musa Diabate, and we expected really big things out of those guys. And the talent was clearly there. I mean, NBA teams ended up drafting them. Uh, and there, I've seen Musa Diabate highlights on my feed, on my Twitter feed. So uh, he's out. These guys obviously have it there. And I just think, uh, it's something also I've talked about. I think a lot of coach these young first time coaches that a lot of these big time programs are hiring are are kind of feeling some of the growing pains that you would have expected them to feel in some of their stops prior like if they would have been coaches before I'm talking guys like John Shire at Duke, who uh you know is taking over like what you would expect to be an amazing team, an amazing program and is not performing at high levels. I think a lot of these guys are kind of learning on the fly. And some of these big time programs aren't used to that. Michigan especially isn't used to that. Like we hire guys like Jim Harbaugh who have proven track records before they get there. Uh, and and with the kind of the reversal of the thought process there and the hiring process, uh, it's just, I think it's more incumbent on fans to give coaches a little bit more time in terms of like what they're figuring out. I mean, Juwan Howard, this is his first time being a head coach. He was an assistant coach in Miami for a long time. This is his first time being a head coach. Uh, so when we take his positives and praise him for it, we have to also learn that, you know, his negatives are, are something that he's going to learn from and, and, and be able to move forward. Because That's the other big thing is like, when you look at Michigan, a lot of times they just seem Discombobulated. There's times where they'll be in zone, and all of a sudden they'll break into man- Half the team will break into man-to-man, but the half the team doesn't. You know, times where the the offense isn't getting set up until 15 seconds in the shot clock, and those are things where when I hear people talking about Juwan, it's like I understand what you're talking about there. Because as much as you want to say like like they've gone through injuries, Jet, his son has been hurt at times this year. He dealt with ankle injury the transfer point guard Llewellyn uh, tore his ACL when he was over in London so uh, we can't uh, there are things we've dealt with but at the same time uh that's what you expect your head coach to be have to deal with I mean everyone deals with injuries at some point uh, and I think that's just a big thing it's like Juwan this is the first time Juwan's dealing with a big-time injury to a big-time player on his roster and he's having to Deal with uh, you know juggling lineups and stuff like that. So uh, I am definitely on the the side of give coaches more time, and that extends to Juwan. I think fans are a little bit too impatient with coaches a lot of the time. So uh, I'm definitely uh, someone who is going to preach for Juwan to get more time, but I'm not going to say I. I don't understand where some of the, the calls are, are coming from on, on social media. So, yeah, it's tough. I, I, I'm I going to check out for Michigan basketball this year. I'm probably still going to watch the games, but I'm not holding on to any hope that they're going to make the tournament at this point. I don't think uh, we really have a big uh, a chance at that, even if everything were to go right. Um, but that's going to do it for the college basketball side of things you've got a conspiracy theory coming out about someone on your pro basketball team. I want to hear about.
1: Sure do. So I was, <laughs> I was sitting at my, one of my best friends houses on Saturday morning in Louisville. We, we stayed out on the night uh, life in Louisville Friday night. Didn't get home till real late. I woke up on the couch. It's probably noon Eastern time in Louisville, Kentucky. And I'm looking at Twitter and a Reddit user by the name of AdMassive6666 claimed that the Grizzly scorekeeper is, fraudulent, is using fraudulent stats to boost the numbers of Jaron Jackson Jr. so that he can win Defensive Player of the Year in the NBA. Because JJJ is overwhelmingly the favorite to win Defensive Player of the Year. And this admassive sixty six sixty six puts this huge post on Reddit R slash NBA. If you're unfamiliar with it, if you if you don't use Reddit, if you're not familiar with R slash NBA, it's a cesspool. It's the worst. I like I used to think it was funny. Now not as much. Like it's just like they attack players. They're I probably don't like it because they really don't like the Grizzlies. And they do whatever they can to drag the Grizzlies. This guy, like, it's like a whole like, like research report into like how like the Grizzlies are using their their scorekeeper is like f- using like just making up stats to help JJJ, and it was the, his thesis was that his defensive stats were incredibly better at home than on the road, like averaging nearly two more blocks, like an extra steal, like it's like his stats are so much better at home, and. <laughs> I mean, like, attached plays where there was one, I'll agree with him. JJJ was awarded a block, probably wasn't a block. But that's one out of, like, I think JJJ has, like, 70 blocks this year. That's one play. Also, the NBA has to verify every stat. So, like, even if the scorekeeper tried to do that, the NBA reviews it, and it's like, yes, yes. That's correct. The NBA goes through on every little thing. And this guy was still convinced he's like, this this scorekeeper in Memphis is is making up these stats because they want to bet that so that they can win money through DraftKings when JJJ wins the fitzer play of the year. And I mean, NBA Reddit believed it. NBA Twitter picked up on it really quick and they all believed it. I mean, it was incredible how quickly it spread like wildfire because the nba like the fan base hates the memphis grizzlies and i mean it spread like wildfire luckily i think it was the night of maybe the day after jjj had an incredible game like five blocks that like couldn't have been more of blocks like it was very clearly jjj swatted that thing and uh, after the game, JGJ made it very clear that he beat the case. It is not – there's no conspiracy. JJJ's just really good at defense. And I think you as a Michigan fan, they got to see a little JGJ in college. You know just as well as me now watching the Grizzlies every night. JJJ's really good at defense. And I just thought it's ridiculous these links that people are going to, spending this amount of time um, just for nothing. There's nothing there. There there is no conspiracy. And I just, I I thought it was an incredible story coming out of the NBA this week. Just out of, I don't know if it's out of hatred, out of having too much time. I don't know what it is. But yeah, the G G J conspiracy, I thought was just something else. And I I had to talk about it.
0: JJJ is an interesting player. I, I think I've talked about that on this podcast where I usually don't like Michigan State players. And a lot of Michigan State players get under my skin. Jaron Jackson Jr. was so misused at Michigan State that I have no choice. I like him because he did nothing in his time there. He was, I think he was only there for one year, uh, and he was the most misused five-star recruit I have ever seen, to the point where him and Nick Ward were sitting on the bench in the middle of Michigan State's loss to Syracuse because Tom Izzo wanted to play Ben Carter, in the middle of Syracuse's zone, and the I still will not forget. I think for like two months, the there was just a a, a constant conversation of like, why is Jaren? Why was Jaron Jackson Jr. your five star recruit sitting on the bench as you lost to like a seventh seeded Syracuse uh, and one of their best chances to win? I mean, that was a team that had Miles Bridges, Jaron Jackson Jr., Nick Ward. I mean, that t- Cassius I think was on that team. That team was stacked. Uh, so, I uh, love Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, because he doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't really get under my skin that way. And yeah, he's a really good player. And that, I mean, like, if you're really that committed to the conspiracy theory, like all of the games, you can get a replay of it. You could just go back and like, ha- like the fact that they only had a few clips, it would, it would have been much more believable if you're like, Hey, look, this was like, it was like five blocks off in this game. Like th- one or two, like that's a, that's a judgment thing. Versus where, like, if if there was a true conspiracy, the numbers, could, you could clearly prove it. it's like, hey, he only had three blocks this game, but it said he had five or six, you know, that's a, you know, so... Yeah, that's kind of wild. But, you know, that's just the Internet. You 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 get some sort of information, and it seems like it's well-researched, and, and people will believe anything. So uh, interesting stuff there. That's going to do it, though. With no picks this week, with the Super Bowl next week, we're going to wait to do our pick next week. So that's going to do it. Do you have any final thoughts before we get going, Dylan?
1: I don't guess so. Uh, I'm excited for the Super Bowl next week, and I reckon there will be a good amount of college basketball this weekend to satisfy us, as this is our first weekend without football. Since, like, what, August? Uh, Scary thoughts. Scary thoughts. I'm not going to think about it. Uh, But, yeah, I'll be watching college basketball,
0: I reckon crazy we only have one game left it feels like just yesterday we were getting ready with our our predictions that's going to do it from the dylan and dylan show this week here's where you can find us you can find the show at dylan and dylan show on twitter and instagram you can find tunnel vision sports at at tunnel vision sports underscore on instagram tiktok and twitter at underscore tv sports facebook and linkedin at tunnel vision sports and on the web at tvsportsmanic.com thank you so much for listening everyone have a great weekend we'll see you all next week so long